Welcome to Physicians Helping Attorneys Helping People. When people are injured due to negligence or while on the job, they need all the help they can get. Doctors Armin Feldman and Mike Bummer help ensure they get it. Join them as they discuss the newest medical subspecialty of medical legal consulting. Learn how attorneys can gain a competitive advantage in PI, workers' comp, and medical malpractice cases. Armin and Mike can help you better understand the medical issues in your cases, leading to larger settlement amounts and the best possible medical care for clients. They can help save you time and increase case value, all without breaking the bank. Let's get started. Welcome to Physicians Helping Attorneys Helping People. I'm Dr. Armin Feldman, and I am here with my friend, colleague, and uh, partner in Physicians Legal Consultants, Dr. Mike Bummer. Hi, Mike. Hey, Armin. Hi, everyone. Nice to be back. Yeah, and Mike, hey, I wanted to thank you for sending me that great photo of you and uh, the dogs in front of the Christmas tree. I, I thought your Santa hat uh, looked uh, great, <laughs> and uh, it just uh, brightened up my whole day yesterday. Oh, that's very nice of you. Yeah, for, for our listeners, I kind of surprised Armin, who is a fellow dog lover, and shared an older photo with him from 12 years ago of me with my two pooches at the time in front of the Christmas tree wearing a Christmas hat and everyone was in their Christmas garb. And uh, I, it's, I'm sad to say that both of those dogs who were three and five at the time have yeah. now passed on, but it was a good memory. And I know as a fellow, I knew as a fellow dog lover that you would appreciate a photo like that. Yeah, I really did. And uh, especially uh, given my uh, recent loss of my uh, beloved uh, dog, and uh, it just uh, picked me up and I really appreciate it. Oh, it's, you know, dogs are a part of the family. And uh, yeah, yeah um, again, so sorry to hear about your dog. And um, we, a lot of us probably listening know exactly what you, what you've been going through. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Well, let's get on to today's subject. And so, um, of course, Mike, as you know, we talked about, we're doing something just a, a little bit different today. There's just a slight twist in what we're doing. And um, that twist is that today's episode is going to be all about cases that were sent to us where we felt that there really wasn't merit in the case. And the best thing that we could do was let our attorney clients know that that was the situation. That's exactly right. It, it was an interesting concept when it came up because when I started doing this work, I also felt like our attorneys always wanted to hear that there was you know, litigation potential or there was merit to a case. And I quickly realized after my first few conversations of just being really honest with them about the standard of care and, and in cases where standard wasn't violated, they, they seemed as equally happy uh, or satisfied is maybe the best word as whenever I gave them a report back or an opinion that the, where the standard of care was breached. And that uh, didn't seem as sexy to me at first, but then I came mm. to realize that, that the right answer is really the most important thing. 
Yeah, that's right. And as you know, one of the great things about being a medical legal consultant is that our attorney clients, they want and they value our straight up medical uh, opinion. And of course, uh, our plaintiff and claimant attorneys, they don't want to be carrying loser cases, right? With their time and with their money. And they're uh, just as satisfied or just just as important to them when we tell them, look, I I don't think there's a case here for whatever the reason, if uh, there's a pre-existing condition or in those rare cases where somebody's malingering or primarily driven by secondary gain or whatever the situation is, our attorneys want to know when that's the case as well as uh, helping them to prove up a particular case or medical theory for a case. You know what? This reminded me on the spot. uh, There was an old commercial. I don't know if it was just in Pittsburgh or if it was a national commercial where on TV, I can hear it. It was like George Washington or Abraham Lincoln voice saying, a dollar saved is a dollar earned. And in a roundabout way, I think that's why our attorneys really don't mind hearing whenever there's bad facts for pursuing a case, because they then saved a maybe a big expert retainer that was going to, you know, a three or $4,000 expert retainer, or they saved hours and hours or months, I've been told, on pursuing a case that really, once you cut to the chase, didn't have merit. So maybe that, that time or dollar saved is the equivalent to a dollar earned, especially in these practices that are, they're, we know are quite good at the medical malpractice law. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we've got a couple of cases to share, and maybe we'll have a few more comments as well. So um, let me start. Uh, This was, uh, this case I'm going to talk about was a really sad medical occurrence. And it must have been an unexpected and really difficult experience for this uh, woman's uh, family. Uh, So, in fact, I was writing this report at the request of the attorney so he could give this report to the surviving family members, specifically uh, this woman's husband. So here's the case. Um, This is a case of a 32-year-old woman Mm -hmm. who first presents with a medical problem by having acute, severe lumbar back pain, so bad that uh, her husband takes her to the emergency room. So they work her up, uh, they do some uh, x-rays, they obviously they do a physical exam and so forth. And uh, the uh, thought, and this woman was perfectly healthy, no uh, history of any kind of medical problems in the past, had a couple of young children, uh, pregnancies went well, everything and so forth. So um, they uh, thought that this was probably uh, an acute low back pain um, situation. They, they didn't really make much of a diagnosis beyond that and told her to uh, go back and follow, uh, gave her some medication and uh, told her to go back and follow up with her PCP, her primary care physician. Seems reasonable. And, yeah. And so that's, uh, by the way, um, of course, as you know, Mike, uh, 
the statistics show that approximately 50% of all adults living in the United States sometime in their lifetime will have about of a severe acute back pain, severe enough that they'll seek out medical treatment. Mm. And the interesting thing is that uh, almost, you know, most of these cases are going to be treated with conservative treatment. And many of these cases, the person never has another bout of back pain. Now, this can muddy the water, by the way, in some cases where years ago they had some back pain, then they get into an auto accident and opposing uh, counsel or opposing uh, uh, doctors say, well, she has a pre-existing condition, you know, but, um, but uh, n not the situation in this case. So she went to her PCP and he did a workup. He actually did uh, some blood tests and reviewed the uh, x-rays that they had done in the emergency room, which were normal. And he wound up prescribing physical therapy and gave her some medication, some muscle relaxants and uh, some medication for pain. And so, uh, she was going through the physical therapy. Actually, she had a couple more of these bouts of acute back pain that required her to go to the ER a, a couple of times. But um, it looked like uh, the back pain uh, might be on the men. Now, in the uh, course of this, she also started having some ab abdominal pain. And her, by the way, all of her blood tests, everything so far is normal. Um, so uh, her primary care doctor gets a CT scan. Uh, by the way, this first bout was in September. And now I was going to ask, yeah, this is all within a few months time, right? Yeah, right. Okay. This first bout was in September. The abdominal pain occurs in October. And the PCP gets a CT scan, and it showed no evidence of uh, any kind of uh, condition. Uh, now, that's important because eventually she uh, passed away of a very aggressive, very fulminant, very quick uh, uh, growth uh, cancer. Uh, and so, but at this point, um, nothing's showing up. So she goes through the physical therapy. Apparently, it's not helping. And now it's December. And uh, her uh, doctor says, well, we better get an MRI at this point. And the uh, MRI showed, I'm going to quote here, multiple signal abnormalities throughout the bone marrow are probable atypical hemangiomas. That's benign blood vessel formation. And then they go on to state metastatic disease can have this appearance, but is considered very unlikely in a patient of this age without a primary malignancy. Sure. So, but here's the thing. Um, what they did notice on the MRI is she actually had a, a crushed disc at L4-5. Oh. And that's, that's suspicious. Mm -hmm. um, so um, 
at that point, uh, they, and she was continuing to have this abdominal pain. So at this point, uh, her primary care doctor thought, well, we better start working this up. The first thing that they did was abdominal ultrasound. And, uh, well, actually what happened is that it was December 21st when this MRI was done. So Christmas happened uh, and uh, the abdominal ultrasound didn't occur until um, January 16th. And it showed multiple nonspecific liver parenchymal hypoepoic foci none of which were clearly visible on comparison uh, yeah. uh, uh, MRI or CT scan. Now, basically what they're saying is they're abnormalities. Uh, the uh, abnormalities are not definitively cancer tumors. But uh, given this, uh, and they were very concerned at this point, given the crushed discs and these there's no evidence of cancer, by the way, at this point, but they decide they better do a whole body PET scan. And that was done a little later, about a week later in January. And unfortunately, the PET scan found metastatic disease in this woman's lungs, bone, brain, and liver. And by the way, the primary cancer site was never found. And mm. uh, it, it, this, as I said, was a very aggressive cancer. And she died two weeks later. So such an unfortunate, sad story. But if you look back at the case, physical exam, laboratory data, ultrasound, MRI, x-rays, everything was completely normal until they were able to make the diagnosis of metastatic disease with the PET scan. So it was my uh, opinion that the doctors did everything correctly, right? Young, 32-year-old woman, perfect medical history, acute back pain that 50% of the population gets. They did all kinds of diagnostic tests, but nothing showed up this cancer until it was too late to possibly prolong or save her life with treatment for the cancer. On, so, the, on the legal side, Armin, mm -hmm. I, I, this attorney is probably someone, I don't know how many cases you've done for them, but they, they, they are probably quite thorough because the, the, in doing a, a good job because I, for their clients, because I feel like I've gotten these types of questions from some of my best attorneys who I know are, are extremely thorough and they do not just blow off cases, especially ones of uh, young women in their thirties who are, uh, you know, who undergo kind of uh, unexpected death. And there was clearly some potential for either missed diagnosis or mistreatment. And right. the fact that they asked you to look into this, uh, it, it just to me, it gives the sign of a, of an attorney that's really crossing their T's and dotting their I's because I've seen the other side of this where the delay 
and we talk to an oncologist, you know, we have expert oncologists that we talk to mm-hmm. and they say, oh yeah, if, you know, three months could have changed everything here. But this isn't, this is not one of those cases is what you, you felt. You're exactly right. And I do a lot of cases for this particular attorney and he does a terrific job. Uh, he, he actually knows his medicine pretty well too. And, um, and so he wanted to be, as you said, he wanted to be thorough about this. But it was just one of these sad, unfortunate cases where by the time the definitive diagnosis could be made, it was just too late to save this woman's life. I don't think there's a, a, a physician on the planet that could have diagnosed that any earlier. Would you like me to share a case? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Okay. So this, uh, this matter occurred with an elderly gentleman. He was in his 70s and he was golfing in warmer states than you and I are in right now as we sit right. here getting ready for Christmas. And he unfortunately fell from a golf cart. He, his golf cart struck the edge of a wall and he fell out of the cart and, mm. and hit his head. And it's rec- you know, in this report, I recognize that he suffered a traumatic skull fracture. Mm. And he, as part of this, had a acute subdural hemorrhage and an acute infarct, or that's essentially a term used where the brain tissue isn't receiving blood. And I should mention, just to preface and kind of give context to the case, the attorney's original question came up because this gentleman ultimately uh, passed away about a month and a half after this happened. Yeah. And the question was whether or not this these blood uh, brain injury, the blood hemorrhage and clots were treated appropriately. The family was extremely upset and felt that there was even uh, potential delayed treatment or a mistreatment that resulted in a hemorrhage. Because what I'm about to tell you next mm-hmm. is that, so he had this subdural hemorrhage, which is on the outside, and then a, a what was found and diagnosed to be a sinus thrombosis, which is another word for a brain clot mm-hmm. that was traumatically caused by the, by the, the trauma of, of hitting his head. Mm-hmm. So a few weeks later, though, he then suffered a hemorrhage. So you have these two competing worlds. One's a clot, which is Mm -hmm. this coagulation. It's almost like the blood turns to slime and and, and stops blood flow. And then you have a hemorrhage, which is the opposite, where bleeding is, the the blood is very thin and bleeds into places it shouldn't and thus starves the area of blood, um, kind of like a a leaky pipe where the the water's not getting to where it wants to go versus a clot in the pipe or a clogged pipe. Those are kind of the two analogies I would use. Right. I think I can see where you're going with this. You're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Yeah, exactly. And this attorney is someone who sends me a lot of cases because the medicine in these, and he, he, he must have a good referral network because he gets some really interesting medical scenarios that come out. And this was, this was one of them where this gentleman's, so my, my ultimate opinions, again, kind of jumping to the punchline of my opinions without having to go through all of the, the surgical management, were that the original clot was caused by his head trauma, and that was life-threatening. And uh-huh. these doctors reasonably treated his clot with anticoagulation. They had to make a decision because if they didn't anticoagulate him, uh, his brain could potentially have starved and he may have died or had prolonged impact. Right. That's what I meant by damned if you do, damned if you don't, right? 
Yep. The risk of not using that anticoagulation is that he would have suffered a worsened or new blood clot and it would have been life-threatening. So then my second point was, so really it should be noted, maybe it's not obvious, I should just say it one more time, that anticoagulation is what ultimately has caused his intracerebral hemorrhage, his brain hemorrhage. And the reason this occurred is the fragility of these blood vessels in an elderly gentleman who suffered a he- recent head trauma, mm-hmm. the blood vessels are very tra- uh, traumatized. They may leak a little. You now thin the blood and he's predisposed to leaking or having a hemorrhage. And right. you have to treat him for the clot. So exactly what you said is true. And these doctors were really stuck with making that decision. And they documented, when I got deep into the records, they documented that they had this conversation with his family and that they ultimately agreed to treat with anticoagulation. Now, this was By the way, isn't it that's so important? I mean, communication between the physicians and the family in any situation and then and any doctor-patient relationship, but in a situation like this, isn't that just such a critical part of uh, how you're able to proceed? Absolutely. And studies have been shown that good communication can offset a lot of even litigation. So our attorneys aren't even getting a lot of calls if the doctors communicate well. Right. Mm -hmm. But kind of branching off to some other angles in these cases, not only do we get, you know, called to consult on what the attorney thinks is right or wrong or malpractice, but I always look at it from a, well, what did, what, what are we maybe not asking? And one of the things on this case that came up was, there were two. One was the question of, did maybe the the hemorrhage, the bleed occur because of a trauma? Mm-hmm. Maybe he was in the hospital after his stroke and there was an undiagnosed or an unwitnessed fall. And right. now he had a brain bleed because of that. Or maybe there was even abuse or something that mm-hmm. happened. And interestingly, the MRI that showed the hemorrhage showed that it was in the deep parts of the brain. I'm not going to bother you guys with the the names of them, but, and these are internally located in the brain, which are much more likely from a medication induced hemorrhage, unlike a traumatic hemorrhage, which would usually be on the more external parts of the brain. Right. So definitely some nuances here. Yeah. Yeah, it's important. It answers the question. At least we know what we can or couldn't make a case at trial about. Right. And the other thing that, you know, in this case, I spoke to a close friend who's a licensed neurosurgeon. And I do that frequently on these cases that are that are outside my core specialty, just to make sure I'm getting my attorney the best opinion. But I also asked, was he a candidate for neurosurgical intervention? Because I wondered, you know, he had this hemorrhage. Mm-hmm. Could his ultimate demise have been avoided if they decompressed or or solved that hemorrhage with surgery? Mm-hmm. And the answer was no, yeah. uh, due to multiple factors that again are not uh, immediately relevant to this this show today. But the answer with that neurosurgeon was no, and that um, in discussing it, we believe that the the surgeons and doctors did everything that they. A similarly trained, licensed professional would have done with that same information. These are very sad, uh, unfortunate cases. I don't mean to uh, bum out our listening audience, but I, I think it, it really uh, helps us to elucidate this idea that sometimes the best answer 
uh, is uh, there's nothing there's nothing here uh, that would warrant moving uh, forward uh, with uh, pursuing uh, a damage case or uh, a, a workers' comp case or whatever the case may be. I completely agree. It's actually very satisfying just to get the the right answers over to our attorneys. Yeah. Right. Right. In fact, uh, didn't you, you told me at one point that uh, you look at a lot of these um, medical malpractice merit cases, and wh- what was it? Was it what was the percentage, Mike, that you said? That, uh, I I would be ballparking, but I would imagine about seventy-five to eighty-five percent of the time, I'm educating my attorneys on the facts that would. Uh, discourage them from wanting to pursue a case is probably mm-hmm. the best way to put it. Because as as we know, and I've learned, I'm not an attorney. I'm not making the decision to pursue litigation or file a claim right. or try to negotiate and settle a, uh, a a positive outcome for their client. But I I teach them the medicine. I'll send them the research that I do. And we'll have very frank, open discussions about the good and bad facts. But most of the time, you know, a lot of my attorneys will joke, you know, before we even talk, they're, they're thumbs up or thumbs down, Mike. What are you, what are you thinking? Right. You know, and I, if put in black and white terms, I would say uh, just, and our, our attorneys who do a lot of med mal probably would have to have to see that that's about in the right ballpark, maybe even more are getting a thumbs down because of the difficulty of proving standard of care breach, causation, uh, the harm directly being related to it, and the harms justifying the pursuit and cost of a, of a malpractice suit. Uh, yeah, I don't have anything uh, more about that as well. So uh, thank you for Tuning in today, uh, if you enjoy our podcast, please give us a five-star rating. Uh, if you have a case, if you have a question, if you have a comment, you can email us at comments at physicianshelpingattorneys.com. And uh, we look forward to having you on uh, our next episode. Thanks for listening to Physicians Helping Attorneys Helping People. For more information about the show and to listen to all the podcast episodes, go to physicianshelpingattorneys.com. You can also email Armin and Mike at comments at physicianshelpingattorneys.com. Attorneys.com.